Welcome to the Art Fisher Podcast. As always, we keep the ads at the beginning, so you're more than welcome to skip through them for where the podcast actually begins. Today I want to talk about Anchor. Being new to the podcasting world, Anchor provides quite a platform that takes care of all of your podcasting needs. Basically, it's, it's a hub where you can upload your videos, you can upload your recordings, it can take care of monetization, it can take care of useful links, and further, it also allows you to distribute um, your podcast and your audio and even your, your video through various uh, podcasting platforms such as Apple, um, Stitcher, Overcast, and it is linked directly with Spotify. So if you use Spotify um, or you're interested in uploading anything with video and audio, you're more than able to do that. Well, welcome everyone to the Art Fisher podcast. I'm Reese Fisher. And today we're going to be talking about young and possibly acclaimed filmmaker Robert Eggers. So we're going to try to tackle why even talk about Robert Eggers. What's our reasoning behind looking at him, looking at his body of work, what we get out of his movies. Yeah. An up-and-comer or anything like that, but, you know, as opposed to just being an established director who can probably now make a, a lot of different movies that he wants to. Just nothing big budget, which we'll probably get into at some point. Yes. So, for those of you that don't know who Robert Eggers is, he has three movies. He may have some smaller pieces as well. I'm sure he does. But the big ones that he has released are The Witch, The Lighthouse, and The Northman is his most recent one. And The Northman is the, is the one that Nolan was, was touching on that is a, is a really big budget one. Um, but, I, I, I'm not sure if we want to start talking about Robert Eggers or, or just work through his body of work and then move back to him. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, you said other works. He hasn't done other, any other movies, at least not as a writer-director. He was a production designer for a while. I think he was mostly working in theater. I think he did some production design or art decoration on other movies first before he was directing. But pretty much since he's been a director, he's been highly acclaimed. The, I mean, The Witch is like a really small budget, like $4 million indie movie that just did super well at the box office, kind of rode that wave of uh, small budget art house-like horror movies in the mid-2010s. And he followed it up with The Lighthouse, which is another pretty small budget, sort of getting closer to the mid-budget range. Um, also a pretty successful movie. Got like a, I think one Oscar nomination, which 
isn't worth a whole lot, but you know, it, it movies recognized. And then the Northman was his most recent one that came out this year, 2022, which is a much bigger budget movie. And unfortunately a, a failure, that movie lost money for the studios, which will probably determine the size of budgets that he's given in the future till he can prove that he can make, you know, some really big successful blockbuster movie, but uh, we'll get into that. In in general, he's a guy that I would probably describe as an auteur filmmaker. Uh, we haven't talked about that yet on this podcast, but in general, an auteur is someone where you can see uh, some kind of individual vision or intent that comes through, and he definitely has a consistent set of themes and ideas that come through in his first three movies. They deal a lot with myth and history and the difference between those two things. So sort of truth within history or truth within myth and how that plays out in an individual's life. And so all three of these movies have a different relationship with sort of faith and belief, uh, which we'll get into. They also, I think, deal a lot with uh, masculinity, toxic masculinity, the roles of men, and they're certainly defined by a lot of historic accuracy sort of in the background so they're all you know quote-unquote period pieces which usually people associate with being very stuffy sort of very sh I wouldn't even say Shakespearean but very like you know Elizabethan Victorian dramatic yeah dramatic so yeah I, th I think that's a good background for him yeah the reason some of the reasons why I I wanted to to talk about him is we just to full disclosure for our audience we basically made these lists um, separately and didn't share them with each other. Uh, that's how we'll probably approach some of these in in the future. Um, the these types of conversations, but I, I also had down he's huge on mythos. You can see that through all of his films that that he's weaving in various elements of myth but then he touches on prior myths and then uses that as well to like make his own um his symbolism is extremely heavy throughout each of his movies the symbols that he chooses are are very weighted um i would say that they they have a lot of depth to them throughout um various other stories as well so like he uses that intertextuality really well and then most of his films also focus on a singular character uh which is interesting because i think that reflects his his authorship is that he does have that singular vision um and he sort of accomplishes that specifically through focusing on one character and the world's response to that character and that character's response to the world and probably my favorite part about him is that he is extremely surreal and he weaves in many surrealistic elements in all of his films. But the way that he does it is not in the sense where you're watching it and you go, oh, you know, the character is just dreaming. That was just a dream. Great. Now they woke up. He blends it in such a way that like you don't even know if it's really happening or if it's just representative of the character's emotions or their memories or what they're currently going through and i really like that aspect that sort of ethereal space 
to the to the film that adds another layer of depth but also abstraction that to me is is some of my favorite art i really like that it's not so readily defined and for someone to, to burst onto the scene with with his first two movies and then continue in that way with a, a huge budget with the Northman and to not even debase his vision, uh, I would say he almost doubled down on it in, in a lot of ways with, with the surrealism that he, he used in that film. So, yeah, uh, huge on mythos, symbolism is heavy, a singular character, and then surrealism for me. Yeah, so which uh, I, I I think it'll probably will probably be served best if we just talk about each three movies and then kind of compare them to each other. Yeah, exactly. Um, rather than talking about them as a whole, but yeah, so the witch is his first movie. Uh, it's a story about like a Puritan family in the American Northeast that moves deep into the woods after the father is basically exiled from his community for being too religiously crazy I, I don't remember if he do you remember if he is too pure for them or if they're too pure for him i think it's that he he just didn't like their community and he wanted to go live alone because that's what men do yeah i think he wanted some level of autonomy he wanted to exert that autonomy and they didn't really like that um but also, it seemed like his daughter did something that was an affront to them, because it basically opens with like a trial, and I believe he was on trial. But yeah, it opened. It opens with a trial, and he ends up um, moving his family like off on their own, and they don't they don't start like their own church. But um, religion is extremely central to to them and and their life and ultimately that yeah they're they're exiled for some unnamed reason like it's it's just some some religious problem they came up with because he is too radical or not radical enough right so it's not that we don't remember it's that they just don't really explicitly state it um but yeah the the religious aspect is like the the problem um oh it is the conflict within the movie between the daughter who is seen as like satanic and a witch um by her family basically like her her father her her mother are turned against her um because of the way that her siblings then uh, like label her as a witch well almost immediately upon them going and settling down out in the middle of nowhere the they have a baby boy who just is disappears we know the baby is kidnapped by a witch and immediately killed um but the family blames it on the daughter or the little the little twin brothers that she had or twin i don't remember if they're fraternal. it's a boy and a girl okay but yeah, they basically blame her and call her a witch, and then slowly but surely the entire family comes to believe that she's a witch, and then she basically becomes a witch. Uh, I, there, there, you could view the movie two ways, that there was no magic at all, and um, 
just like wolves took the baby at the beginning and all the witch stuff is there to trick us, or you could just take it at the more face value, which is still a bit complicated, but essentially they they convince her to become a witch and then she does because she doesn't like their form of religious insanity. Yeah, it's almost like you call someone a witch, so then they just go, okay, I guess I'm a witch. I can't, I can't do anything that's going to make you think that I'm not a witch, so I'll just become one. The movie sort of ends that way as well, where in uh, quite a haunting scene, she floats up into the sky with a whole bunch of other witches. Yeah, I... It's weird because obviously uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is the protagonist. Like, she's on the screen the most, and the movie is kind of about her, hence it being titled The Witch and not The Puritan Family. Um, But even though it's about her and sort of her journey from being, you know, just some innocent girl and then sort of a coming-of-age story and becoming, you know, a witch or falling away from faith, I think the movie is more concerned with the parents and their ideas and their beholdenness to their faith because the especially the father's failure like his inability to protect his family or grow crops well you know it's sort of shown that he's incompetent hence why they got booted out of their initial community in the first place but he just can't hack it as a settler Yeah, yeah. I, in general, you could probably find, like, if you were to pinpoint this down to a few ideas, one of them would definitely be the the failure of religion in the face of most problems. Um, a lot of time, at least in this case, a lot of the more Puritan, Protestant forms of Christianity that settled uh, the Americas, their their solution to every problem you know, that you would come across in the new world, which would be plagues destroying your crops or the fact that it's cold. So you need firewood, but you're unable to gather enough firewood or you're not good at hunting. They were all either just dependent on how strong your faith was. So even though this guy's faith is strong, he just keeps failing because he's just not good at this. And being religious is not a substitution for actually learning survival skills, which is in large part what his failure leads to and then it leads to his failure of faith which basically as soon as he gives up on his faith he gets killed by the devil goat yes yes exactly and and i i wanted to to jump back to what you said about how it's possible that the witch represents like a pack of wolves or something that takes the child and and eats it um it, it it's also saying that you know it it's it's great to to believe in something but nature doesn't care like uh, if you if i know you've read but um to build a fire by jack london that mo- that short story is very similar to it gets at similar ideas to the witch where it's legitimately just you against nature and nature doesn't give a shit about you it's gonna go about 
it's not even its business. It's just existence. It's survival. Whether it's a bear, whether it's the cold, whether it's the frost, whether it's the water that seeps into the seeps into your skin and then you eventually freeze to death, whether it's that the the wood that you're trying to use to build a fire doesn't work, you're you succumb to nature. Nature just takes over you. Whether it's a wave that engulfs you and takes you out to sea, like nature doesn't care what you believe in. And this movie kind of captures that in a lot of ways. I I definitely appreciate that about this this movie, um, just because that's a very objective statement. Um, regardless of us speaking about what we believe in, I, I will never tell someone what they should or should not believe in. Um, but I do think it's in, it's important to to look at the world in that objective manner of regardless of what you believe in you you also need to have other skills besides besides your faith right because otherwise you know a bear will take tear apart your your son or daughter or tear you apart as well yeah you're more than welcome to go move into the middle of the woods with a bible and see how that suits you but uh have a feeling that we will not have another conversation right unless there there's a there's a cutout for a gun in that Bible, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I I think that that highlights part of what makes this movie as rich as it is for as simple a movie as it is. Is it is thematically interesting and it's it's more than just one idea. It's it's a number of ideas that work pretty well together. Uh, I think it builds atmosphere really well because one of its flaws is the fact that you can immediately tell that it isn't you know a very small budget movie like it doesn't do anything too terribly flashy um it's a lot of small sets a lot of closed in places there's sort of claustrophobia to it despite the fact that they're in the woods so it makes sort of this big patch of woods feel very cold and very dark (laughs) ominous without doing too much to you know actually have you scared it shows the witch pretty early in the movie too and it doesn't really try to get you with jump scares. So in terms of genre, I find it to be kind of a good mesh between uh, the different things that it's trying to do, both being an odd coming-of-age story and being an atmospheric horror movie and being a period drama. Uh, outside of all that, technically, I think it's a really good movie. It's, it's super well shot. Um, it's well edited together and that's where a lot of that atmosphere comes from is just direction decisions, the actual cinematography, photography, and lighting itself. It ends up emulating a lot of, um, like really expressionist painting in my, like just the lighting of it. So you get a lot of these like very Puritan looking shots that just look like paintings you know there are those shots in the attic where the light is pouring in through the one window it it feels very naturalistically lit which i think is pretty consistent across his other movies as well but it makes pretty strong use of uh natural light yeah i i did a little uh post on on this on on instagram a while back and i think i i described it as something like each scene is like a new eggers lind painting or something along those lines like it's you know robert eggers and new england but like every single not every scene is a painting but the ones 
particularly I'm thinking of the ones that you were talking about where it's just that that long shot where it focuses on the woods just a few seconds longer than you really want it to <laughs> and your your eyes are like darting from different like trunks of trees searching for the witch that you see at the beginning and it it really reflects how biologically baked into each of us we have this sort of fear of the woods and it does a really good job of extending the thread from Brothers Grimm stories down through this story and it never debases itself with those jump scares and I really like that it shows you the witch initially and then um, shows you basically the witch later on with the like like scene uh but it's not really a it's not really a jump scare uh if you will but another thing that i really like about it is there are a lot of shots where there are characters backs to the screen and it's almost like that character has a secret that the audience wants in on but you're you almost like don't really want to know it but obviously you do want to know it uh, in a similar fashion to like the woods, like the woods is very foreboding and has many secrets, um, in fairy tales, but also in like real life. And you want to know, but you also kind of don't really want to know the dark stuff that happens in, in those woods. And that's exactly what, what is going on in this, this puritanical, um, space with, with this family. There's also a bunch of, scenes with just like really rough looking corn stalks and like miserable soil um yeah just blighted land yeah and like the trees almost look like they're like trying to grasp at you or they're like reaching for something like they need something and and they they can't quite get it um which is really captured well like you said as far as a, a painting goes there's also the goat um which is the devil or is inhabited by the devil or inhabited by the witch. Um, Black Philip. Yeah. Yeah, the movie portrays it that the devil is in the goat. And the goat devil gives people, gives young girls the, the option to become witches. Through some form of sexual... Uh, I wouldn't say subservience, but like s sexual like sacrifice in, in some capacities is almost what it seems like. I don't remember that being a part of it. I mean, the, they use their bodies as a lure to catch people. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Not no, no, no. Sorry, not that the not that the young girls are giving in more so that they're luring them in. Yeah, that's what that's what I mean. Because that, that type of sexuality is what's highlighted in the movie, where it's uh, Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy is, you know, slowly becoming a, basically a woman. They, they call her, like, woman grown over and over again, because the whole movie is in Old English. Um, and then they have those the weird scenes where the brother is also starting to hit puberty. So he is, you know, there's no other girls to look at. So he's just attracted to his sister. 
And, of course, because they're Puritans, that's evil. And then that's the same thing that is the little boy's fate later on as he's bedeviled by the witch who seemingly curses him and then he dies later. But, yeah, that's that's a big part of the the narrative of her slowly becoming a witch is the fact that not only do the witches use their sexuality to learn, you know, little boys and most likely men in to, you know, consume them for power. But also how the opposite is true for these radical Christians where they just believe sexuality is evil and unclean. Even though, you know, they have four kids and they probably could have done well to have more because they needed more help. They might have actually survived if they, you know, built a fence or had enough people to do some of the work they needed to have done. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to say as well, is that because there's this uh, use of, of sexuality by the witches and the way that Eggers shows that it is an inherent part of coming of age, of realizing your body is changing, realizing you have certain desires... It, it's showing that there's no space for that in this particular religion. Um, there's no chance to try to figure that out or even talk about it because God saith it is a sin. Um, yeah. So that that comes across pretty clearly um, in this movie. The other The other thing that... I wrote down after I watched it was it seems like it's also showing how easily we turn to like we turn not only on each other, but when life turns against us, we are very quick to blame others and how easily we turn to like an easy out or like an easy quote unquote evil. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, scapegoating is a part of all of these movies. Yeah, so when we lose, right, then we turn our actions um, to evil. And once we give in to to that action, then our hopes and ourselves fly away like she does. Yeah, do you have any uh, criticisms of the movie? Um, yeah, the... So the scene basically where all of the violence goes down, I I felt like that was a, a good scene, but I almost wished there was um, maybe something more done like in the house, um, like between, I, I almost wish there was like a little more interaction between Anya Taylor-Joy her character and her parents. Um, oh yeah, I yeah. think it's obvious that they cut several scenes from the yeah. middle of the movie and the end of the movie. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what I'm driving at here, but it almost feels like there could have been another scene included that would have added a little more depth um, to how they feel about each other, but then also sort of like in triggering the events that happened. Um, I'm not saying I don't believe or I'm calling into question why 
happened, but it would have been maybe more believable um, or fit better had there been more uh, between those characters. The pacing just feels kind of rushed towards the end. Oh, certainly. Yes, And, and I, I think that's why there was probably stuff that got cut. And it was probably cut because even though this movie is only like an hour and a half long, it feels like a two-hour movie. Like, it feels longer than it is. There are a lot of very slow scenes with long takes. Which I absolutely love, and more movies need to do, in my opinion. But most people... Oh, no, I think less movies need to do this. Oh, all right. I, I, think peop- I don't think people are good, good enough at directing or shooting or editing movies to have more long takes. That's really funny because you cut me off and what I was going to say is that I want more of that, but I don't think people are capable of doing it. <laughs> so, like, I, 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 want, I want more people to do it, but I also will obviously want more people to, to be capable of doing that. So, I, I'm not going to pretend like it's easy, but... I I appreciate some some long, long sort of drawn out um, sequences or or scenes. Yeah, I I think that I, I think this movie it's odd because it feels more ambitious than it's able to be. Like because you can tell there's stuff that's cut from it, and the the ending is impactful, but the ending doesn't really match the rest of the movie that well. It feels like it's kind of from a different movie. Yeah, I think that's why I want more interaction between she and her parents, but then also like more, I don't want to say more surreal, but something else, something else that matches that tone uh, of the end. See, I don't find these movies to be surreal particularly at all. I do find them to be dreamlike, but not necessarily surreal. Do you want to explain what you mean by that? It's probably just the difference between, like, absurdism and surrealism. I find The Lighthouse and The Northman to have a lot, The Lighthouse in particular, to be very absurd. And have, have, you know, a lot of attributes of absurdity, but I don't find them to be surreal, per se. Like, I think all three have dreamlike qualities, and The Witch and The Lighthouse have, you know... The Witch less so. There's not dream sequences. The Lighthouse is full of them, and the Northman sort of dabbles in that as well, but like, I don't find them to have interactions that are surreal in that sense. I guess it depends on how you're using the definition of surreal. Because the way that I see it is that those um those dreamlike sequences are are basically what what I'm labeling as as surreal surrealistic. Yeah, you may just have a completely different definition of surrealism then. Surrealism is like the lack of logic. It's like an un an unnerving lack of logic. This this movie is like fairly logical. Yeah, so like aside from the witch and the flying. Yeah, but that's not surreal. That's like fantasy. That is like kind of what surrealist surrealism is surrealism also is i don't find there to be that i don't find there to be like surrealism is also just like dreamlike yeah i would i would consider david lynch's dreamlike stuff to be surreal and i don't find this to ever get to that level in any way i don't think it's trying to be because it's more accessible 
Like, it's easier to understand. Because it feels rooted in, like, history. Like, these are period dramas. Like, there's painstaking detail put into place to make them seem like they are of that era. Not only the characters, but the sets and the entire atmosphere feels old. Old, but rooted in some semblance of history. I see what you're saying. Like, it's I... almost, it's almost, uh, like, getting towards a new genre in between, like, historical fiction and dreamlike surrealism. Yes. Like, there's not really a description for that, but it basically plunges itself so deep into the detail of history. In this case, this movie is a lot of the language because it's just old English. Like, it's just not our language. Like, if you watch this movie without the sound being turned way up and without subtitles, you're not gonna, you're just not gonna understand what they're saying. Like, I just don't believe you would understand what they're saying. 100%. Because they I speak think... softly, and especially that, the lead actor, I forget his name. Um, but it is uh, Ralph Innocent. He's just gruff, speaks low, in a sort of monotone voice. And in a different language. <laughs> I think what I'm driving at is the the way the the tone of the film works with the the aesthetic of it is very surreal, despite it being historical. Like it's driving at that that subgenre that you're talking about that is presenting this time as being surreal, and it and I I, I get the sense that Eggers does this by presenting by presenting like either the emotions of the character or the surrounding um history of that time through blending like our our own dreams and desires and inabilities to live out those dreams through what i call like a surrealistic sequence or thought or or feeling um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get too hung up on that. Cause I, I just feel like dreamlike and surrealism or surrealistic. It, it's kind of bizarre. Um, I guess is another word you could use for it. And I agree. I wouldn't say it's bizarre cause it is rooted in reality or rooted in that time period but the way it's showing it is more so what i'm saying is is showing the bizarreness of that situation of that time you get what i'm saying or no uh in a way like we can, the, we might be we might be able to get there after the lighthouse. Well, the lighthouse, I would agree with you. You could probably call a surrealistic work. I just, I there's no world in which I call the witch surreal. No, the world isn't. I just think it has surrealistic moments. Yeah, uh, I guess it gets close to them. Sort like there there are moments in the Northman where they sort of point. They point out the logic of how the people in that time view ideas and beliefs and faiths. Like specifically, they there are discussions in the Northman where they talk about Christianity and their view of Christianity as being some kind of like weird magic bullshit thing. 
And so in that sense, like from those characters' perspective or from our audience perspective looking at the characters in The Witch, it could seem surreal in that way. But like the like the direction I find to be very objective. Sure. So while it takes on these dreamlike qualities, I I find it to be more uh yeah, I don't know. I, I like there's just something about its like painterly quality that I find to be almost quaint. And that mixture of quaintness with, you know, the psychological horror, psychological thriller elements. Uh, yeah, I guess that's just the what's interesting about the movie because we just view it in, in a different way. I think this gets at a larger piece, which we probably will not, I don't want to say continue to quibble on, but continue to like understand how we look at these different movies. But I approach art i think more from uh initially an an emotional level and then in like looking back at it more of like an analytical level and my like emotions sort of interplay with the analysis depend depending on like you know if i'm watching it by myself or if i'm watching it in order to teach it um something along those lines but i think i i sort of like just a i i just i feel like i open myself up to like whatever movie or piece of art i'm consuming at the time um as opposed to i guess how you're saying you are watching the witch or you you respond well, how, to it. how many times have you seen it I only saw it once. Yeah. Yeah. So that is probably where this difference is coming from. Cause I've seen it like six times. Right. That's so once that's you watch a movie true. that many times, it does remove like all of the gut emotional reactions that you usually get or that I would get from a movie. I get after the first viewing and upon a second or a third is where a lot of the initial emotional feeling I'll get from it starts to go away and I'll get more and more analytical. So I can hang on to some of those elements, but like, surely the suspense of this movie starts to disappear the fourth time you've seen it. Right, a point of diminishing returns on an emotional level. Yeah, and so that probably would be the case as well with, you know, me not calling it surreal. It's just expecting what is coming next and then understanding the logic of that as opposed to it being, you know, inherently not of logic, like dreamlike through and through yes and and i appreciate you bringing up lynch because he is the quintessential big gun of uh bizarreness and and surrealism um but yeah i mean yeah his his movies you're not you're never gonna get away from that <laughs> on on that particular point though as far as like re-watching something and because because in a lot of ways it is somewhat depressing that or it can be depressing if you if you lose sort of that magic that you felt when you first watched something. Um, but I think that's why we really hang on to certain movies and why we have such a a respect and an adoration for certain films. Like the first the first uh, episode that we did on on the Prestige, for instance, like. I've seen that movie more than 20 times and it's, it still emotionally hits me at like 
I don't want to say all the same times, but like even sometimes it hits me like a different way. Um, yeah, and that that movie is just way better than The Witch. <laughs> right, right. No, no, I'm not. I'm not comparing it. I'm more so saying that like that's. Yeah, that's just how I guess I I observe uh, observe art and experience art. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we should definitely jump into the lighthouse because this is this is cert- this discussion is certainly moving in a great way into into this film. Um, which what time period does this one take place? I'm I'm horrible with with years. The lighthouse, probably the late nineteenth century. Okay, that that would be my guess. I I don't know for sure. Yeah, I was gonna say like either either into the twentieth century or eighteen. I don't I don't want to say eighteen seventies because that seems arbitrary. But yeah, seventies, eighties, or nineties of the eighteen. Yeah, it seems it seems like the turn of the century vaguely. I don't I don't remember if they actually mentioned a date at any point. I know they're reading from journals and stuff, but I don't think they say like 1885 or anything like that. Definitely post Civil War America in the Northeast on a an island with a lighthouse. Yeah, I was going to say just another New England scape um for Eggers to to operate in. It's like a, a seagull encrusted rocky foreground with like s- spiritual storms happening around it. It's all bad omen to kill a seabird. It's also shot in one nineteen one. Uh yeah, the almost square ratio. Yeah, which is interesting to watch it on if if you haven't seen anything on that. And it's certainly adds to the viewing experience i would say because it makes you feel like you know you're watching it in the 1900s <laughs> like just at a at a theater right and it's it's in black and white as well um yeah if if the witch is like a really well crafted movie where the ambition seems to outweigh the actual execution by a talented amateur or a burgeoning professional uh, director, then I think the lighthouse is like the perfection of a vision put together. I think this movie is like a, a head above the witch in terms of criminally like how, underrated. I don't know if it's underrated. I think it has like a cult following. I I think both are popular enough. I mean, obviously they're popular enough for him and Eggers to get the money to make something like The Northman. Um, but they're not like main mainstream i don't think they're probably just right near the line i think that's where a lot of the a24 stuff is it's like mainstream hipster culture well you know judging by the 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 god of ratings imdb it has a solid 7.4 which obviously uh imdb's ratings are extremely skewed from anyone being able to rate a, a movie this movie also has a ton of phallic imagery and a Uh-oh. bunch of uh, homoerotic themes. Oh boy! If if you know anything about IMDb, you know there's a lot of very uh, angry, closeted gay gay men on that website. So uh, yeah, it might tip tip those tip those guys off. Yeah, they they tend to 
you just look at the highly rated movies and you see a lot of ones about big strong men hmm. I wonder what that could be do they like the, the yep. big the big muscles mm-hmm. i mean also this movie is fucking weird so men with guns and muscles this this is a movie where there's a lot of stuff that people would dislike i i <laughs> i've recommended so the reason i've seen I, I was going to say this before. The Witch, I've probably seen once a year, every year since it's come out. Same with The Lighthouse. Um, th- these are newer movies. I've just seen them because I've recommended them a lot and then rewatched them with a lot of new people because for whatever reason, people are like, I don't want to watch some stuffy period piece that's in black and white in a square format or I don't want to watch The Witch. Like, what the fuck is this hour and a half long movie? Um, so yeah, that's, that's why I've seen them so much as recommending them. The Lighthouse, I have not had people like as much that have recommended it to. Uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, there's a scene where Robert Pattinson beats a seagull to death and I've had three friends like, you know, text me while watching and be like, yeah, I turned it off because he heard a bird. Well, it's a movie, so... Some people don't like when an animal gets hurt. <laughs> it it bothers me when I'm watching a movie when when an animal dies, but it also calls into question, at least to me, why do I care more about this animal being hurt than when the the human is, is shot and dies? Uh that that continually bothers myself. Um as because far as animals are innocent and people right, are not. Right, right. But the point still stands. Uh, that 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 it's a movie, um, and <laughs> you feeling some type of way in response to the movie is, um, how do I put this? The point of it, <laughs> you're you're supposed to feel something. That's why it's included in the movie. So you should like sit in those feelings and feel that, and then keep 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 going. <laughs> It's not about facts, it's about feelings. Right, right. Going back to the way that I, I uh, view movies, which is having an emotional response, but then sitting with that and then thinking through those emotions as opposed to being like, oh, I hate this guy, he killed a seagull. Me no watch more. Mm-mm. Bye-bye. I like Pattinson because he's good looking, but I can't deal with this. Won't watch him hurt an animal. I saw this movie a couple of times in theaters, and I think I laughed when he killed the bird both times. So I'm clearly that this this is an issue that I I don't really understand, but because <laughs> because this movie is is creepy, it elevates that tone and atmosphere from the first one and ratchets it up, you know, ten times over. You know, you have the foghorn going all the time. Oh yeah, I mean it's uh, it, you it have feels the creaking of floorboards, but it's mixed with dripping water. But then just Willem Dafoe farting, just constantly the man is farting because all they eat are beans. It feels like Cthulhu is about to like burst through the floorboards or or and what have you, and then point. is just at the top of the lighthouse the whole time, and the I personally love the. The, the I don't want to say jump scares, but the way that the mermaid is used in in the the film with <clears throat> I almost said Robert Eggins Eggers um 
Robert Pattinson and how it basically like consumes him um in a lot of ways but yeah the scene where he climbs up up the staircase the the lighthouse steps to the top is extremely like mythological in a lot of ways and the ascension there being that that curiosity is the guide and it's unclear whether he's psychologically completely lost it and he's trying to sort through his own uh psychosis on his own but yeah it's the prometheus myth right right he's i I guess we should briefly go over the plot basically robert pattinson and willem dafoe arrive at a lighthouse to take over duties for some period of months and they very quickly both lose their minds it does not take long at all robert pattinson's past is called into question and it's heavily implied if not just explicitly told that he murdered someone and he's like on the run there's a bunch of sexual tension between the two uh robert pattinson loses his mind faster both due to the fact that he's pretty gay and kind of into defoe and defoe isn't really but also he's his boss and he looks for validation from him both as a sexual daddy and as a boss and as a father uh there's kind of a lot wrapped up into it but basically he's gaslit slash you know repressed feelings he loses his mind he kills defoe and then uh like breaks into the lighthouse which he hasn't been allowed to see and then ends up being picked apart by birds at the end yeah and defoe has continually like shuddered himself into the top of the lighthouse and pattinson is not allowed to go up there yeah because he's not a wiki huh that's what he calls himself he's he's a wiki like a guy a, a lighthouse master this movie again makes a lot of use of older language uh, a lot of really specific maritime language and jargon from this period uh which is frequently used both for comedic effect and really intense uh there's there's two monologues specifically by defoe that are just choice choice readings by him the one in specifically uh I'll try to pull up here just to read off parts of it because it it is a hark. Yeah, he just screams hark because because he kills the bird and he's angry about the cooking. You don't like me cooking. Yeah, and when when Pattinson is ascending the stairs, I believe there's one where he like gets a glimpse inside before he eventually goes inside, but he sees like some version of tentacles, uh, moving throughout at the top of the the lighthouse but well yeah the, the, that's this movie's interesting uh take on the the myth so if the myths in, in the witch is sort of the myth of witches and the myth of christianity going to battle and the way that one leads to the creation of the other this is kind of the same way where a lot of myths about sea monsters and mermaids start to get to pattinson and then you know mixed with the fact that he either hasn't seen a woman which he wishes he had seen like it, it's very unclear if he just is a gay man struggling with being gay or if it's just that he's been only with this dude for so long and that's driven him mad it, it, it seems more so likely that he's just gay but yeah 
it's it pl- it plays out in the same way where it's not clear and there's more in this movie that is implied to be a dream rather than actual reality. Like there's like floating Willem Dafoe's heads and things like that. I found the the text by the way. Their their names are Wake and Winslow by the way. You're fond of me lobster, ain't ye? I seen it. You're fond of me lobster. Say it. Say it. Say it. I don't have to say nothing. Damn ye. Let Neptune strike ye dead, Winslow. Hark. Hark, Triton, hark. Bellow bid our father the sea king rise from the depths full foul in his fury. I'm not going to read all of this because it's a really long paragraph, but we we oh, can yeah. link to it, but it's... uh. Delivered by Defoe. Hark! Yeah, it's delivered by Defoe. And, as you said, very choice. <clears throat> you you did mention, I believe you mentioned, how it's possible that Defoe and Pattinson are the same person where Defoe is imagined by him as well. I, I did not mention okay. that. Well, I, I believe that that could be the case there are some inklings of that you know given his head is floating uh and there's a mass of tentacles around him yeah that i think there's uh i think both of them are definitely there at the beginning it's just unclear if he killed him after like a few days and then just imagined him for longer or or what and that's part of the the gaslighting that he he plays that defoe's character plays on the pattinson's is how long have we been here? Three days? Three weeks? Three months? And that, that further builds upon uh, the idea that he explores, Eggers explores in The Witch, which is when you give in to those, those quote-unquote evil actions, or when you give in to those actions, all is lost with you, and you yourself become evil, and your hopes are uh, flying away. In this case, not flying away. You're just being picked apart by things that fly. All right, we're back from an ad break for Raytheon. We we officially cannot say that we are <laughs> proponents of Raytheon. <laughs> we're sponsored by the rockets that Raytheon makes and no, drops on people. No, it, no, yeah. we're not. We are not. We we officially are not. We're sponsored by uh, Lockheed Martin. No, um, no. We're sponsored by Hark. A Hark, not Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Hark Triton. That is what we were just talking about. Yeah, Poseidon's left nut, Hark. Yes, yes. There there you go. That's that's our sponsor. Just going to have to cut a little bit of that out. We're not cutting any of this. We love you, Raytheon. <laughs> uh, bombs away. Uh, anyway, yeah, this... I, I I think this movie just elevates a lot of the atmosphere and tone that the witch is going for, albeit in a very different way. It's shot in black and white, but it takes that sort of painterly quality that the witch does well and perfects it. Like the use of natural lighting and like lamps, just old oil everywhere. Really reminiscent of like, 20s and 30s expressionist movies in in a way that i haven't seen done in a long time at least not this well and that that's just 
satisfying to see a filmmaker who's obsessed with history and historical detail who likes really weird expressionist movies and wants to put one together that is filled with comedy but is just horrifying and that horror comes from a few places the the one place is a, a man running from his past a man who is just deeply in the closet um isolation most most especially it's probably i think this movie or i'm surprised if it didn't gain a larger audience from covid just because you know there are going to be people who are trapped together who didn't necessarily think they would be and then you know possibly the more dominant personality just uh talks about beans too much and drives the other one mad and then farts on them further uh cementing their their dominion with with the beans uh yeah i i it, it may just have been too close to home for some people <laughs> i don't know or it was just too out there i think the the quote unquote out thereness of the film turns a lot of people off like they're just like well that was a sad movie and a weird movie. Like, I just think a lot of people would see that and just go, well, that was a strange one. Yeah, because it doesn't tell you what all of the symbols mean. It doesn't tell you what the lighthouse is supposed to represent. And because it has multiple ideas and themes going on at the same time, they don't necessarily all end at the same time or in the same place. It's why someone might be confused about the link between the myth of Prometheus and, like, all of the uh, homosexual undertones between the two characters, or just the phallic nature of the lighthouse in general, which is definitely deliberate. Or the, like, the othering of the mermaid character that pops up over and over again, like, she becomes sort of more alien as the, as the film goes. And then eventually, when he's fucking the mermaid, the mermaid just becomes Willem Dafoe. That's what I was gonna say. And then it's it's very clear that uh, his his desire comes through in his dream, and his confusions are sort of uh, dispelled and completely outlined for the audience. But as I said before, most people would just go, "Well, that was weird." Why did the mermaid turn into Willem Dafoe? I don't know. I like I I definitely going back to the surrealist conversation as well. Like I, I definitely see that um not as I said before as surrealist because it's expressing like reality or like an idea, but I certainly see how other people would see it in that surrealistic sense and that bizarre nature if you will and this one has more bizarreness and absurdity to it but it's still grounded in like some type of idea like it's not being bizarre for the sake of being bizarre if you will yeah this one i would probably call surreal because the whole last 30 minutes it's unclear what's real and what's not and then the ending itself offers you like kind of multiple different interpretations for how not only how it ends, but then just, um, you know, the meaning of what those endings are. Like, do you have, I, I don't, how many times have you seen this? Like once? Yeah, I only saw it once. Do you like, do you have an explanation for what he sees when he goes up into the lighthouse? 
Uh, like I said, I only saw it once. I would probably have to see it again in order to explain it. But from my memory, he sees like tentacles like the first time, I think when he's like peering through the floorboards or the peephole. Um, and then like when he, he eventually opens the door, right? And it's just like floating there. Like it's basically like Cthulhu, like floating in the the room of the lighthouse and Defoe is a part of Cthulhu or something. Well, the ending is he just sees a light. He just sees the like Fresnel lens or whatever and then falls down the stairs. And dies. No, because they don't show him dead at the bottom of the stairs. They show him in the wheelbarrow being picked apart by seagulls. Like it just cuts later to that. And he's outside. Right, but but does that happen because he opens the lighthouse? door at the top that does it that's what i'm asking like I, i'm asking if you like what you think of the no i'm saying like sequentially like in the in the film what happens after he opens the door when he finally when he finally gets into that room he opens it and he stares at the light and then it's just a really loud like loud buzzing blaring sound and it just shows his face screaming and then the light itself it's just a large, bright light. The light from the lighthouse, like, they're called, like, Fresnel lenses. Like, those big, refracting, spinning lighthouse lights. And then he just, once he sees that, he falls down the stairs, and then it cuts to him outside being picked apart by birds. Yeah, I mean, to me, that certainly, the ending is saying that something is revealed to him that otherwise he was denying uh, and he couldn't live with that, so he either killed himself or fell down the steps. But it's it's more a metaphor for him being lonesome, him not understanding himself, and then succumbing to the isolation of his life as extended through his isolation at the lighthouse. Yeah, yeah. That That's what it means to me. Gotcha. I probably have a much more, I mean, there are like metaphorical interpretations I take away from it that are fun. Just like, you know, I have in the same way that like, I love the conspiracies for the shining where it's like, this is about faking the moon landing. Like there, there are like fun interpretations I have of him seeing the light. But the, what I really think it is, is like the, the entire movie is a flashback for Pattinson's character who, previous to the movie starting, has already killed Willem Dafoe. And most of what's playing out in his head is moments from his relationship with Dafoe before he killed him. And basically, he like he's already killed him, and that's why Dafoe keeps popping up in these weird ways, like as if he's already been dead for a while. And by the time we see him at the end of the movie, he's just lost his mind entirely and is being picked apart alive by birds. And the him going up to the lighthouse is his realization that he's done this. And finally, his psyche either splits or comes back together with the realization of what he's done. Like, the only real evidence for that is, I mean, I, like, I think... His his sexual feelings towards Defoe's character are what lead him to kill him, both because he resents him for being his boss and because he resents these feelings that he's having. And then he kills him, and then he slowly goes through the you know this breakdown, 
and then comes to the realization and then you know dies because the the truth is that he's already been he's already committed a you know this grave sin of murder because he couldn't accept either his situation or who he was i don't i don't know if that makes sense to you but that makes complete sense to me yes like the one there's a there's like one series or a few shots that are cut in where he's like gonna hit somebody with a boat oar, and it they play it off as if it's like that was the last thing he did before he came to the lighthouse that he killed somebody and then was on the run but I, I think that's just like you know the part of his head that is coming to terms with being a murderer and being trapped on this island but but outside of you know interpretations of it and some of these themes that happen in it in terms of just praising the movie outright i think both actors put in great performances willem dafoe has been on a roll i, I mean really his most of dafoe's career i'm a big fan of but the last last 10 years or so he's just really been on fire with great performances his in this probably out acts pattinson who is the uh protagonist but um just pattinson's ability to choose scenery without saying very much because he doesn't really have that much dialogue and he has kind of a goofy like almost a brooklyn-y accent throughout it um but i think both both of their performances are really excellent obviously this is i think is one of the most um well photographed movies i've seen in a while um it uses its black and white color scheming just to it, it, its furthest extreme end, both by being naturalistically shot with a lot of, you know, fire and candlelight, but just the camera movement almost always aids in storytelling or eking out emotion or establishing the atmosphere more heavily. There's always an impending sense of doom, which the writing really helps to sort of lighten as the movie goes. So there's always just these moments of humor that crop up and then the humor gets pushed until, you know, sort of to the edge, right to the point where it would make a scene funny. And then it's just dark because there's some underlying friction between the characters that everything always falls back onto. I definitely agree with with all of that i i very much um appreciate the the writing like the dialogue that each of them have i think it's it's fair to say that defoe outacts pattinson but i think his character calls for that more than pattinson does like i I think it's somewhat unfair to compare them in this film um but then also, yeah, the foreboding nature of the place they're in is continually like ramped up by their interaction with each other and how the humor is injected to sort of like try to lighten the mood. It's almost like it's almost like Eggers is injecting that in there and then you're sensing the humor and you're like, oh, yeah, I think I need some more humor because this movie's kind of dark. And then it just keeps getting downplayed by the next scene and you're like, oh, God, when's the next bit of humor <laughs> to save me from <laughs> from this uh, wildness? And then he gives you like just enough to, to sort of hang on, just enough for Pattinson to to hang hang on until the impending doom where he wants to know the truth. He wants to to see the light and he does. 
and then he's plunged into darkness. Yeah, this this movie in particular between the the three of Eggers movies, I think the the writing comes through the strongest, like the voice of the writing cuz it's written between him and his brother. Um and I think that the actual script, like the the feeling of the script plays out a lot more strongly despite the fact that in terms of plot and story, this is perhaps the simplest of the three movies. Um, I find that the the witch's script is super well researched, like all the language and stuff works really well together. But I don't find that the script sort of comes through, like it's it's a lot more focused on the actors and their performances than necessarily what they're saying, which is sort of reduced by the language that they use. And then in terms of the Northman, which we'll get into, I don't I don't know how much more you have to say about the lighthouse, but um, the Northman script is definitely one of the weakest parts of that movie as far as the lighthouse i mean i could i could basically just talk about it for uh a while um the choice to have it be in black and white was great i mean going into the idea of duality that is certainly at the forefront of this movie between you know there are only two characters or quite possibly one character who has two sides to him um the the conflict between the two i will have the audience know that nolan is uh continually changing his background <laughs> and um willem defoe is, is staring very uh goblin gobliny at me what a terrifying individual um yeah imagine being trapped just imagine being trapped in a lighthouse in the 1890s with willem defoe yelling hark at you and he's just constantly eating beans but yeah the du- the duality there is is very strong and i think that's something that that eggers does really well in this this movie and the the writing is definitely i would say the best in this one um as far as <clears throat> as far as each each of the movies leading uh well, the witch leading up to this, and then the Northman. But uh, in in comment on the simplicity of the script, or I don't want to say the plot, but the the script, I think that kind of shows any aspiring filmmaker there is great value in just simplifying things. Like, don't overcomplicate it to the point where, as you said, the the choice to make it in Old English diminished the film. Um, I wouldn't say significantly, but it it diminished aspects of it. I don't think it diminishes it. It just like the script isn't strong enough for that element to highlight anything beyond the language. Like the language just becomes a part of the setting, right? So the the script would have to do more heavy lifting to make not make up for it, but to allow for that language use to be to be like a strength. Um rather than just kind of a fact definitely for the average moviegoer like like i just think that 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 as a the witch is very difficult to get the full understanding of without reading the subtitles yeah got it um and then uh, extending uh, did you did you have anything more as far as the lighthouse because i'm ready for to go into holy viking hell if you are um 
yeah, I don't, I don't personally have too many criticisms of the lighthouse. I think it's a, a near perfect movie in terms of the type of stuff I want out of movies, like psychologically acute, disturbing elements of horror, brilliant atmosphere, dynamic shots, great acting, well-written. Um, like, I don't really care about a lot of the criticisms of the witch that I haven't talked about or criticisms of the lighthouse that people have with like, oh, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, it's not gibberish. They're boring. They're slow. They're pretentious. They're pretending to be art house, but it's really just, you know, janky nonsense that doesn't come together. Uh, I, I think there's enough evidence in both of them to provide actual deeper meaning. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like that's, I've said most of what I want to say about those two without getting more into the, the North man, which I probably have more to say about that. Cause I have more critical things to say. And it's just a bigger movie in general. There's kind of more going on. It's longer than the other two. So yeah, let's, let's get into it. I, I watched this movie in IMAX, um, or sorry, not IMAX. Dolby Atmos, um, whatever that's called, and the the score of the movie is certainly a character, that's for sure. Going back to the what I said at the beginning as far as how Eggers likes to focus on a singular character, that's certainly true in uh, in this movie. Um, the The main character's name is it's not Hamlet. But it's like Ameth, Ameleth, Ameleth, yeah, something like that. But I actually read somewhere that this this story is linked back to another story that is purportedly what inspired William Shakespeare to write Hamlet. So it's like this story and then Hamlet stem from like an initial story, or that that's what people are like theorizing based on other texts um but yeah the northman was i remember we talked about it after after i watched it because you had seen it before i saw it and it's we talked about how it's more like an experience uh than a movie which i guess um kind of builds upon that idea we talked about with the spielberg and scorsese debate um how spielberg is really strong with building these experiences and sort of like the the northman is not a theme park ride for sure uh you you could say it's like a theme park ride in certain cases especially the the extremely violent scenes but it does really pull you in to the the mythos of the movie and i guess one thing that separates this is the I wasn't going to say the budget. I was actually going to say the change of uh, location of each each part of the film is that it, it continually is changing the, the location because the character covers like great distances. So because of that, it's quite different from The Witch and quite different from The Lighthouse. Um, and that can be difficult to play with, right? <laughs> because it seems like Eggers is is more used to just operating in, in like that type of constraint. So I think that part was somewhat challenging for him to, to live up to, but I really enjoyed 
this movie. I don't think it's as good as The Lighthouse, but I did really enjoy it. Um, I think my enjoyment for it is is really high, but I don't think it's like by any means uh, in an, an incredible uh, film. Like I would say it's a good. I would say it's a good film. Um, and I sort of recognize how I'm biased just because it's a movie that I really like and I would love, but like objectively, I don't think it's a, an incredible movie, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's a good movie. I think it's handicapped in a number of ways from being better than it actually is. Um, but in general, yeah, there's there's a quality to The Witch in the Lighthouse that feels a lot more measured and deliberate, um, whereas The Northman feels more out of control. And part of that is definitely by design, because The Northman is very much about like a harnessing a primal feeling to execute revenge. Because more than anything, this is a revenge story. Um, basically, in the mode of like Conan the Barbarian, like this, this is in a lot of ways, just the Conan the Barbarian story with, like, an art housey edge to it. Like, I think this is a better movie than the 80s version of Conan the Barbarian, which, personally, I have no attachment to at all and just think is a subpar action movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Um, You're starting to piss off the listeners. Uh, for, <laughs> for whatever listeners we, we somehow have... That I'm joking. F- fucking that shitty movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold, I'm kidding. We'll, we'll have an episode where we talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger. He he is a great actor. I'll have you know who's been in some great movies over the years. But Jingle All the Way. He's also been in some stinkers that are stinkers because of him, and this is one of them. This is just his. He is charismaless in that Conan movie. Oh. Like whatever, whatever attachment people have to that is some kind of weird childhood nostalgia, or you just made it. I I don't get it at all. He's just terrible in that. Horrible. <laughs> I mean, aesthetically, obviously, he's he's perfect for the role, but yeah, acting wise, um, not not what you uh not what you would want. Yeah, if I I, I don't know. I guess I would describe the North like if the witch. And the lighthouse proved that Eggers was able to do more than what his budget was allowing him to do. In a way, the Northman feels more empty. It feels like he didn't know how to spend all the money. Oddly enough. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean the the action scenes are are absolutely lit, um, which is one of the reasons why I enjoy it so much. Um, when they're like storming a a place or. He has to attack some someone or get himself out of a certain situation. I've I've also seen this movie a number of times now. I saw it twice in theaters and uh, once at home, and the action definitely drops off um, on after you've viewings. seen it again. Yeah, I would imagine. I think Skarsgård's performance is really good. Uh, oh, let's let's go over just like the plot in general terms real quick. Like it's basically there's this kid uh who's like the heir apparent to a viking clan run by ethan hawk um and this kid is like on his i don't know if it's his birthday or just the day that his father has returned from great 
glorious battle. Um, and he is like about to become a man. So he goes through this kind of like psychedelic ritual where they try to turn him into a beast. Like they're telling him he has to, you know, use his most primal features and aspects of himself to slowly become a ruler. Like he's going to have to become this Viking ruler one day. And so right after the ceremony is over, Ethan Hawke is killed by his brother and his brother like kidnaps his, uh, his wife, aka the, the protagonist's mom, and the protagonist escapes on a boat while saying the words, uh, I must avenge my father, I must kill my uncle, I must save my mother, Some, something along those lines. He just repeats this mantra over and over again. Um, it zooms forward in time and basically... It cuts to him being, like, rowing on a on a Viking boat then. Yeah, yeah, he's joined a group of, like, bandit mercenary type people and he's just become a ruthless killer. And he goes on a long journey to find his uncle and his mother, which he does. Uh, and he eventually is able to... He finds out some twists, like basically his mom always hated his dad, who it was implied raped her, and he was basically the product of rape anyway. And he kills his, uh, I guess, half-brother, um, and eventually kills his un- ob- obtains revenge at the cost of his own life. Um, while also impregnating a woman played by Anya Taylor-Joy who is also implied to be a witch in a coincidence which I'm sure was intentional yeah she, um, she's got some she's got some some powers there the the story is extremely straightforward for how long the movie is and for the fact that it's an epic and a lot of the subplots kind of feel I don't know if I would say underutilized or misutilized, but uh, everything doesn't come together as strongly as it does in these in the other two movies. Um, to me, what what comes through strongly in this one is uh, Alexander Skarsgård is the protagonist, so his his performance is really strong. Um, Nicole Kidman is is pretty good in this movie, and I haven't seen her in anything in a while. Um, that I really enjoyed. It's it's probably been like a decade since there's been a movie I've seen her in that I thought her performance was interesting. Um, I really like uh, what's his name, Klaus Bang. I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. Uh, I've seen him in some other stuff. Some uh, the half brother Swedish movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays he plays the villain, which it turns out isn't really a villain. Like our conception of villainy is shown to be misunderstood just due to historical references um that's probably this movie's biggest strength is its reliance on historical accuracy to paint a picture of what these cultures were like and how these people thought and so it makes a lot of the savagery more understandable yes yes i i see what you're saying i i i definitely want eggers to be in charge of more period piece like i i just want i just want him to to get i don't i don't even know what what he's working on next but nosferatu yep sign me up (laughs) (laughs) that's what he's yeah he's said in interviews he's he's only gonna make period pieces i think he's only interested in history he's only interested in stuff that's already happened i don't think he cares about modern day or making new movies or making um like franchise type stuff and this this is probably going to be his only big budget movie at least for a while yeah i think i think he's gonna be uh 
his funding is going to be peeled back for for quite some time. I mean, if he if he can continue to prove himself, obviously it's possible. I mean, we have to acknowledge this was his third movie, um, but but this these are risks that Hollywood isn't taking. Like Hollywood isn't spending more than ten to twenty million dollars on any original property. Like the Northman was a risk and it blew up in their face. Like this movie, this movie lost tens of millions of dollars for uh, whoever made it, Legendary or Focus Focus pictures it was what a 200 250 million dollar movie or more than that no like 70 or 80 million oh, okay maybe 90 million with marketing gotcha. costs gotcha no if this movie cost more than 100 million this would just be a shitty movie <laughs> like where where would the money have gone that was in like the sets are all very that's why i say it feels like the budget is misutilized because the movie never feels epic like even the final battle where they're fighting in a volcano, you can tell that the however they shot it and the CGI in which they use um, makes the fight a lot more claustrophobic. It feels hemmed in rather than like this big thing, you know, where they're battling in Mount Doom or you know something like that. Because this is described as a you know historical epic, but it, I don't I don't find that it ever really feels epic. It's mostly just like a man goes to a village and fucks up everyone in the village <laughs> I, I i would agree with that i think yeah so so i guess uh we'll probably do this exercise a bit more as well um but like what is it that that you would change about this movie to make it more epic you you kind of already started down that road but um i wouldn't make a historic epic <laughs> <laughs> yeah but just stick with sticking with this idea you said as far as utilizing the the money to achieve like a not better fight scenes but more of like an epic nature to them um the, ep- well, like the epic the... nature of the story is dependent on how the protagonist feels and that's the the gaslighting that takes place in this movie is the gaslighting on the audience whereas in the other two movies the characters are gaslighting each other in this movie, the audience is being gaslit because we're led to believe that this character is the hero of the story, and it's not until we're like two thirds of the way in that we realize he's the villain. Like he's here to kill these people who are not as bad as we once thought. Like his dad was the villain who was keeping his mom held prisoner, and his uncle is kind of you know misunderstood character by our standards. Morally, they're all monsters. Like they're all just vile, despicable creatures, but. In terms of the morality that they sort of lay out, like, we learn that he gets, like, the blade of death, and he uses this shadow blade to slay them in a dishonorable way. Like, it turns it on itself, but the character doesn't really ever get that realization. Like, he never fully realizes himself as the villain. He still thinks of himself as the hero. And so that final battle should be, like, this epic conclusion for him, but that isn't really the way... I view like I like the scene where he fights him in the volcano. I just think that it ends up being sort of hemmed in. Like it's not this the scale isn't really there. So would you like for him to realize and double down on him just being like, well, I am just going to be this Viking, this monster, or do you like you don't like the fact that he still considers himself to be a hero? 
because I, I personally do. Like, I enjoy the fact that it turns it on its head and you think it's going to be this movie where you watch this guy's revenge story play out and he gets revenge um, on his father and ends up doing this. And, like, you you are rooting for him the whole time, obviously, because that's the, the, the intention of the movie. But then you yourself, as you said, are gaslit and <laughs> you're... you're your morals are called into question because you're like, wait a second. Uh, I, I guess these people were just operating and trying to do the best they could in this terrible situation. And now this dude is coming to the, the, the wrath of, of whatever happened to him as a kid. And I, I, I like that as a story. Like I appreciate that. Um, that, that just is the story. Like I'm, I'm not saying that I, um, like identify with the character but i'm more so just like that that's how the story plays out i guess i would view it as a subversion of the vengeance genre that doesn't play forward as much to me like it just didn't work the whole way for me like there are elements of the movie that i think are great and i i do i don't want to be so lost in details that I say I don't like this movie. Like, I like this movie. I think this is a good, if not a great movie that's just very flawed. But part of part of that flaw is the way in which it plays out. You know, it's sort of this vengeance that becomes tragic, but then it's not tragic because this guy dying is the best thing for everyone in the world. Yeah, I see I see what you're saying. I definitely think it is that that subversive hero tale and I I probably am more drawn to that just because it's it's different. Well, it subverts it as a story of vengeance. So, like, it doesn't... Like, the only groundwork it does for you to get on board for the tale of vengeance is the kidnapping of his mother and the murder of his father. And picking Ethan Hawke as that character is great because who has a more sympathetic sympathetic face than Ethan Hawke? Like, of course we feel bad for him. Like, we're just like, oh, Ethan Hawke? Yeah, I love that guy. He was a good king. He was a great leader. And his duplicitous brother dishonorably murdered him with his with his posse. How dare he? But I think it's when you learn of the, the truth of the situation and his response to it that makes the ending play out in a way that's kind of jagged, uneven. I agree. I agree completely. In, in looking at the beginning, I think the beginning is great. Like, I think the foundation is, is really strong and playing on your emotions and, and building each of those characters. Um, there are so many scenes. I mean, him becoming a man, becoming a, a beast, his father being killed in front of him. All of that is, is really strongly rooted. Um, and then they have the the dream like sort of sequence with the tree and his like ancestral tree um emphasis on the emphasis on the rooting part um i i don't think that was a strength the 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 tree part like i think it could have been accomplished in a different way but i do think that the there CGI are some i was just gl glaring like it just yes. stuck out like a sore thumb Yes, um, as opposed to like the naturally lit scenes at night of them like invading a camp or something. Yeah, it's it's very jarring. Um, what was I gonna say? But 
the there are some beats that are missing towards the like second third of of the film that that stick out and they don't allow it to move into the the climax of the story and then ultimately the end like it it's not reflected well from the beginning to the end yeah i think i think they cut a good half hour from this movie i think there were a lot of scenes they probably shot that were either too dark and they couldn't use or they couldn't edit it together or they were probably too violent i think there was some really violent stuff that didn't go into the movie uh this was also this movie started shooting right at the beginning of the covid pandemic shutdown stuff and they paused it and they picked up shooting it sometime like over a year later i believe uh i think that probably had something to do with it why it sort of feels uneven and like you know different parts of the movie fuel at different times which sometimes works for the betterment of it as a as a whole and sometimes hurts it it just it feels like a movie where there is a strong vision and the vision is meddled with and then there's pieces that sort of jut out at different angles and it just doesn't all come together like if if the witch feels like one coherent movie where the ending is a little weird and the lighthouse feels like a movie that from front to back is like one idea put together the Northman feels like a few ideas that don't all come together and there's stuff in between I wish that was added in and then there's other stuff that's in the movie that's like I just don't think it needed to be there like the uh, oh, what is it that that game they play Nuttles Nuttlesburg or whatever Nut, Knuckle Knuckle what the hell is it called Nattle Nattlekur That's what it is. It's Nadalker. It's like polo slash golf slash oh that rugby. game the, the violent <laughs> Viking rugby game. Like it was a great scene, it's just not in this movie. It didn't. It just didn't. I don't think it added very much. Like it makes sense because they were trying to move the plot along, but the plot isn't very interesting. Like the plot is already just man needs kill evil man. So the this is one of those like in terms of looking forward uh for what eggers might do throughout the rest of his career that like his his uh just insistence upon sticking to his script and his detailed work that he does before shooting movie all of his research i think that hurt him in the case of this movie because he tries to be more historic, but this movie is an epic, not necessarily, you know, historic. And so all those details that normally would go together to make something really, really interesting, in this case, sort of bog it down. I, I think that's a continual struggle that he is going to face, and time will only... If he's going to be making big, big movies, you know, that are supposed to be big stories. I think... That's something that we also can learn as aspiring filmmakers is to not get so bogged down in the details that we sacrifice either the, the plot or we sacrifice some other aspect of, of the film itself. Well, he didn't have the final cut of this movie. So 
I think he was willing to sacrifice some of his vision just to get more money. And I don't know, three movies in, you know, to my future career, I don't think I would be willing to give that up even for the opportunity to make a $70 million Viking movie. Because every time you forfeit Final Cut when you're making a film, you're just saying, I don't really care what the out- the final output is. Like, they're going to cut it together however they feel based on, like, you know, audience testing. Like, I'm sure this movie was recut because people watched it and either said it was too violent, which is, this is still a very intense... I watched... The first time I saw this, I saw it at, like, noon. So I go into the dark theater, and it's this really intense movie. So by the end, you know, I'm filled with energy. Like, yeah, that was intense. That was awesome. And I come out, and it's the middle of the day, and I'm like, fuck, that was too much for the middle of the day. <laughs> like, that was a lot of a lot of screaming and heads being bashed together to not come out and have it be nighttime where I can, like, hide from the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... I think it was dark when I when I emerged from from the theater, so it 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 made a lot of sense for me. But yeah, I I, I do think there was probably violence cut out of it. Yeah, it it felt almost like the violence was tampered, like tamped down in in some capacity. Like I was thinking about it afterwards because I was trying to think how I would describe it um, to Anna. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you would you would probably be able to watch it. And then I was just thinking of all the violent scenes and was like, well, um, uh, maybe not. But then again, like there were some scenes and then it was just the one where he's taking the, the village and just stabs multiple people in, in the face and then opens people's throats and was like, well, maybe not. But yeah, at the same time, it felt like there were another 10 to uh, 50 people who were brutally executed in some capacity. <clears throat> but I I certainly can't wait for Nosferatu whenever it is that that, that movie comes out. Um, I think also one other thing that I wanted to mention about The Lighthouse is that movie was made before or like part of that story existed before and he he used that to build the script right wasn't there another lighthouse film or like a short i think his brother wrote the script as a vague adaptation of an unfinished edgar Allan poe story but they basically had to scrap that and start from new again when they were trying to sell it from my understanding of edgar's career edgar's has some 10 finished scripts or whatever that he's hesitated to sell to hollywood because he wants to direct what he's written and so when he pitched his ideas, I think they rejected every, you know, they were like, oh, well, we might do Nosferatu. We might do this uh, um, Rasputin miniseries. Like there are all these things he's working on that they just haven't put the funding together or the, you know, the pre-production stuff is just in the works. Um, I think the lighthouse was just he pitched like that his brother had this script and someone was like, yeah, show us that script. And then they had to rewrite it sort of a new from that original i don't think it's based on any particular story or existing movie it could just be that i saw there was another movie that was the lighthouse and it was like two people involved and it's probably something completely different but um i do find it interesting that he just really loves history and loves 
doing like that particular time period justice. And I think a lot of filmmakers should take that piece from his movies. Like, I think they should use that as inspiration and try to be more grounded in whatever period they're shooting in or, or even just to try to make it more authentic. Like if it's not a period piece, um, not that people don't do that already, but that's something that I certainly take from, from his movies, but his, uh, his use of color or like muted color, um, I really like a lot and will certainly be using in, in the movies that I, I shoot, um, the the abstract nature is continually used in in the Northmen and it's used in varying degrees of success but I I like that it exists there um like like the way that he gets the sword um we talked about the tree that comes up that he thinks of like the family tree like I like that aspect but yeah its execution may not have been the best. Yeah, yeah. In terms of stuff I like, um, I like some of the action scenes. I like the more psychedelic scenes with Willem Dafoe. I definitely think the beginning is some of the strongest parts of the movie. Skarsgård's performance as an animal are, are strong. Like, you know, you could just say it's a dude screaming who got ripped and likes to walk around with the hulking shoulders with his shirt off, but uh, I, I think his performance is really strong. Um, I do like that that rugby scene, even though I don't think it should be in the movie. I like that scene where he gets the sword, and it's it's like, what just happened? Why did that happen? That seemed to be a direct reference to uh, Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, trying to think of anything else. I, 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 like, I didn't like Bjork in the movie. That just felt like marketing material yeah it was very very quick and just kind of there hey did you know that's famous icelandic singer bjork remember her wasn't wait she was the one that was just on the like horse right that just rides into fairyland like rides into heaven no no she's the like witch lady towards the beginning of the movie they find her in that village yeah, but isn't she on who's on the horse that rides into heaven at the end? Yeah. I don't I don't remember that at all. There's a horse that like is is galloping into the light. That's just like a Valkyrie. I thought it was implied it was Bjork. I I didn't think that she was supposed to be a Valkyrie. I think she was just like a witch like prophet seer person. Yeah, I like the idea behind it. I think the ending from from what I understand, because I've listened to a few interviews that Edgar's done on all of these movies, it sounds like the ending of The Witch was supposed to definitely be very different, which is clear. Um, and the end of this movie was supposed to be a lot more epic, and they just couldn't get it together. Like, it just cost too too much. They, they couldn't Damn, figure it out with sucks. the VFX. They were supposed to be like a battle with like hundreds of those people on horses. Oh my god. Like Valkyrie, like riding out of the volcano into Valhalla. <laughs> yeah, that that's something I would love. That's something I would I would want. Yeah, so I think his as as he goes on, he gets more experience as a director and as a 
a producer and a writer, he'll figure out how to make some of those bigger ideas pop more on screen. Or or he won't. I mean, he's he's young. We'll see what he does. I, I think he'll probably have learned a lot from this movie. He certainly has more connections now. And more people yeah, believe yeah. in him. Or believe in his art, not necessarily the success. The financial success of his art. Which is an, an unfortunate aspect of filmmaking. Yeah, in in general, the way I've heard filmmaking described is basically now, at least, like the big budget stuff only goes to existing properties, existing franchises, IP. They're just you know intellectual property. It's gotta it's gotta be IP, existing IP. Um, anything over like a hundred hundred million has to be that. I can't remember the last original movie that was over a hundred million dollar budget. Um, that succeeded, and and. In terms of, like, this is still considered, like, a mid-budget movie just by the way budgets work. I consider it a big-budget movie just because this guy comes from a world of, you know, making movies for $4 million. But um, mid-budget movies don't really exist anymore. Like, this movie probably would have done well if it came out 10, 15 years ago, like in the mid-2000s. Uh, there might have just been more of an audience for it. It probably could have recouped a lot of lost sales on, like, DVDs. Um, I don't know if this movie's done well on streaming. I, I think it's kind of a weird release and a weirdly timed release. Like, just Viking Epic, here we go. Even though there's already four big TV shows about Vikings. Like, it feels like just in terms of Vikings in popular media, this has missed the boat. Yeah, missed the longbow, yeah. Yeah, so the like a lot of the small budget movies, uh, I'm sure Nosferatu will get a slightly bigger budget. Like he'll probably be twenty, twenty five million if I had to guess, but um I'm I'm excited. I'll I'll be watching whatever this guy makes for a while just to see what he does. Um, I, I can't tell if he's going to have this rigid insistence on historical accuracy and, you know, making sure that his research is included in the movie, I think is an, it, it is going to become more and more of a flaw as he goes on because, you know, you have to adapt to what you're shooting, especially with the bigger and bigger budgets that you get, um, but it's unclear what, what exactly went wrong for this for why, you know, it's not necessarily a masterpiece, why it doesn't feel all the way coherent, um, why it failed at the box office, I think we've gone over it. Like, there's just, it just wasn't going to do well there. I mean, uh, as far as what we can take from Eggers, I, 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 still, I still think a lot of the same things from the beginning of... Uh, of the episode in that like i i'm someone who who feels very like steeped in in myth and mythos like that's just something that i always feel drawn back to um whether it's ancient myths or the brothers grim or or what have you i think there's i think that that's a, that's just completely baked into the human story and we like those and we're drawn to those um but maybe people aren't maybe people are uh are starting to not be drawn to that but i don't really care 
I I certainly want those to be aspects of all of the movies that I that I create in some capacity. Um, I really like the heavy symbolism. I I I can't picture myself making a movie without there being heavy symbolism. Um, as far as like a singular character, <clears throat> I think it's easier to have a story that is a singular character because then it's easier to sort of flesh out that that person and have everyone around them respond to them in some capacity and and create that person if you will instead of world building your character building based on the other characters around them um as for like surrealism surrealism um you know let's have another hour long debate on surrealism but no i i mean like surrealism is definitely going to be an aspect of pretty much every movie that i i uh make i mean the the book that i'm writing now i have a number of of either dream-like sequences or dream sequences that are um absolutely crucial to where the the story is going and where it needs to go i think that's just how i i think about things and how i express things in a in an abstract way and that is grounded in the story but it's not entirely clear um that it means one direct thing, right? I really like that abstraction. Um, and then obviously, like, scenes as paintings. That's something I love doing in photography. And I really want to to work on translating into into film is being able to have those, those types of shots that you could literally just print out and put up on a wall and go, damn, that's awesome. And then... That's one of the things I love so much about film is when a scene is a painting, it moves on to another scene and and you are just looking at not moving paintings, but people moving inside of paintings. And there's there's way more of a point to it than just people standing in a pretty picture and talking to each other. That's what I love so much about movies is it's, it's way more than just the aesthetics. Oh yeah, I mean you you can hear people when they talk about movies. Uh, like if you if you ask the right directors who only shoot on film about why they only shoot on film, they'll always give you the same answer about how shooting on film isn't actually capturing a video. Like you're not capturing movement; you're just capturing a series of images, and so that's why it becomes increasingly like that's the heart of cinema is about the image and the movement of a series of images because it's, you know, that's why when it's frames per second, it's like played at 24 frames a second. So you're getting 24 pictures in one second and that's how it plays out. But you should be able to pick any one of those frames and that should be a painting. Like that's that's the type of cinema I want to watch and the type I want, I want to make is, you know, really dynamic stuff like that. I, it, that's just inherent. Like that's just something I've heard. Uh, I, I think that's probably Tarantino says that shit all the time. Uh, but that that I think applies completely to the lighthouse um, and mostly to the witch, if not entirely to the witch, and less to the Northman. The Northman has more generic-looking shots. Yeah, the Northman felt almost like. Um, 
Oh man, what's the what's the movie where Leonardo DiCaprio is like on the frontier? Yeah, it felt very very reminiscent of The Revenant just in like the Viking movie. Um as far as like the lighting and and colors and like the action sequences and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I I think The Revenant is far superior. Oh, no, absolutely. I more so mean like aesthetically and the the way they use like natural lighting and stuff, but um yeah it's definitely more more of those generic type type shots yeah i think that that about covers everything i have to say about eggers um if if i didn't make it clear enough at the beginning i i do want to hesitate from commenting on and having a lot of conversations about um modern day filmmakers and them as auteurs because you know eggers could just fucking lose his mind and become the most pretentious asshole ever like he could just rattle off three of the most boring generic historical period pieces ever made i don't think he will this seems like a guy who's highly detail oriented fairly ambitious and very focused and has a very clear vision but um that that's my general hesitation to talk about people you know especially somebody who's not even 40 you know analyzing his career already but to have three movies that are unique, at least The Lighthouse and The Witch, I find are very unique, with The Northman being a little more generic. Um, it's exciting to see what it'll do next, and I'm sure whenever that Nosferatu movie gets released, we'll, we'll talk about it. Absolutely. Till, uh, till next time, everyone. Why'd you spill your beans? Hark, and have a good one.